you guys know the difference between all the different kinds of dragons, right? Like based on the the number of legs they have, mm-hmm. right? Like the true dragons and the wyverns, and then if they don't have wings, they're a drake and all that stuff. Do you know right. what it's called? What like and D and D tells us what all the different kinds are, right? And they show us the different bits and pieces. But every once in a while, they like cross over from one to the next. Like some of the gem dragons uh, that Matt Coville uh, provided in his books. They didn't have proper wings and or they didn't have front legs or something. So they always I remember perhaps you complained in some of the episodes, but these don't look like regular dragons. Yeah. The one I'm talking so- about today doesn't have legs. Do you guys know what that one's called? Because they never mention it in any of the D D lore. Um it's just a worm. Yeah, it's a worm. Spell 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 why. Yeah, it's just a worm. So there we go. Terry, king of the worms. <laughs> It's well. I did. I went you. to a Renaissance <laughs> fair and I got a sticker, and they were like, "Do you want a dragon sticker?" And I was like, "Of course, I want a dragon oh, really? sticker." Then I, at, walking away, I'm looking at it. I'm like, "Well, actually, this is a Wyvern sticker." But all right. <laughs> I bet. I bet that of, out of all of the hosts on this show, the three of us are probably the most shitty about dragons, and like. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't have enough. The wingspan, the quality of eggs. I try really hard. I'm like, not to be that person, but... I'm, I hate it when people do that type of thing about their particular subject matter that they know, but okay. I still do it about it, even yeah. if it's not even important to what's going on. Like, it's the, the right. person might not be in a D&D, and I'm like, well, you need to know this because it is important. <laughs> it's actually not the House of Dragons, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on Dungeons and Dragons and 5th edition. I'm Terry, and with me today are Pepperina and Adam, and this episode is called Solar Dragons, Space for a Sunny Disposition, but Without a Leg to Stand On. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to look to the cosmos and consult the stars to get as much information as possible about one of the later Draconic editions in fifth edition, the solar dragon. My favorite thing about doing the puns for the titles before we go any mm-hmm. further is that I I get the impression, Terry, that you don't read them ahead of time. So you say them out loud and then you look at me and you give me like the nod of approval or a sigh <laughs> of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's one of the two. And I appreciated the nod today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I read all of my notes, right? That's the part that, <laughs> yeah. that, that we want to get down. And then when it's always the first thing we say in the episode is this. And it's not like I read it every time, but I should warm up my voice before because I trip over things a little bit. <laughs> it's the, uh, it's, see, nobody, uh, nobody listening can see the, the breakdowns, but like when we go through and when they're written, they all get color coded based on like if you're DM one, two or three, and that's how we know what we're covering in it. But we never like highlight the name of the episode, so it's easy to skim past. So it's right. it's not just you; it's a surprise for everybody. There was one at like months ago where Dave had to to rap. I gave him a poem, and he ended up rapping it. And it was like <laughs> it, it, it was like ten lines. It was so much, and I had to give him a warning. And he practiced in his car for like two days ahead of time. <laughs> and I have vowed yeah. to, to try to be nicer with the titles. 
<laughs> but I do like throwing landmines in there, especially in the undead ones, because the ladies of its mimic cannot get it right on the first try. And it's hilarious for me to listen to them trip over it. Yeah. Because you then like they to sabotage give us a lot me in the of rest very of the big words that you know I can't say right. Oh, yeah, no. It's, <laughs> it's when an Adam will sometimes rearrange the words because I remember the song. Da, 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 That's what I kind of remember. So I'm following the song. And then when it moves around, it, it throws the rhythm of my song off in my head and uh, and it throws me off completely. So even something as simple as welcome to another It's a Mimic episode is not welcome to another episode of It's a Mimic, which is how the song goes in my head. This is this is also why Dave will never say multi-class. He can only say cross-class because the rhythm is wrong in his head and that comes from 3.5. Right. And uh, why we called it attacks of opportunities here on the podcast because that's 3.5 instead of opportunity attack, which is 5th mm-hmm. edition. Right. And that lasted, God, 200 episodes. So, like, you, I totally get the cadence, the rhythm that you've got going is, is everything. But be- look, before we go any deeper in this, yeah, Solar we already Dragons. ranted for three hours yesterday. So, yeah. <laughs> Solar Dragons, Dragons in Space. Do you guys like this? Or are we starting to get too weird and we're blending genres and we're, we're, just saying shit there's a space book so we need a space dragon because it's D. how do you guys feel about this we may be now just saying shit because we need to put a dragon or two <laughs> in space and it needs to be done but i enjoy that sense of wonder in D where you discover new things and you know once for all of the true dragons we've learned them all i know them all inside out mostly i think pepperina probably knows them better than i do in truth um <laughs> and so i now i get new dragons to discover but i mean there's a lot now i think we've covered everything yeah i mean but if this came out and didn't have dragons i'd have been upset i mean that's fair i absolutely hated this when it first came out and then i remember that dragon ball exists and that's very much like all of the pictures of that with that have with the dragon mm-hmm. is up in space and they're like there are some lore especially in eastern cultures where there are these massive dragons that are like world eaters they're massive they're so huge they fly through the cosmos and you see mm-hmm. galaxies and suns and moons and shit behind them I'm fine with that. Like, if there, if I saw art with a big worm, like we're talking about today, that's like resting on Saturn's rings, right? And it's like sprawled across a bunch of icy asteroids. I'd be, I'd be like, yeah, that's a cool piece of art. That's neat. If I was in a space campaign, I would want to fight that fucking thing, right? Like, yeah. But traditionally speaking, I, I did not like this initially at all. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was just, shit for shit's sake and i'm getting to that point now fifth edition where like every book has a giant an undead and a dragon and we know what's coming Mm -hmm. yeah that's right well we do have an actual conversation to have about solar dragons so let's move into an info break and then refocus on the topic at hand we've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on dragons in fifth edition For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the It's a Mimic podcast, we're starting the new year off with a bang. The public channel saw two episodes yesterday to mark January 1st, 
with both an episode on building a town that I did with one of our Platinum Great Worm tier patrons, Andre, and the launch of Season 2 of the Legend of the Five Rings series that Roman and Megan are absolutely rocking. Then tomorrow, Bronze Young tier patrons have the final part of the Online Legend Lore 2023 discussion on official online products from Wizards of the Coast. And on Thursday, Charlie Casey and I explore the next chapter in our discussion on my homebrew pantheon, where I tried to explore and justify a reason why the progenitor gods abandoned their children on the cusp of the dawn of creation. For those of you keeping track, that's 14 episodes between the Patreon and the public channels in the two weeks since Christmas. But before we fly too close to the sun, let's get back to solar dragons. Okay, let's take ourselves through an overview of solar dragons then. So solar dragons do have a draconic-like physique with, with the two wings and the long neck and the tail, though they do have a slightly more serpentine appearance than typical dragons. In some accounts, their forelimbs are adorned with fins and secondary wings, and their primary wings emit a radiant glow. Throughout their life cycle, solar dragons undergo remarkable transformation in color. When they hatch as wormlings, they radiate a fiery red hue, which gradually shifts to a burnt orange during their, their younger dragon stage. As mature adults, they take on a brilliant yellow shade, and in their venerable years, their color palishes to a bluish white, pales to a bluish white. Strikingly, great worms not only lighten to a bright white, but they actually also reduce in size, and they nearly revert back to their hatchling dimensions as they were when they were wormlings. Solar dragon eggs are distinctively shiny, obsidian black spheres that become translucent just prior to hatching. So really, solar dragons do not fall into any of the three established families of the true dragons that we know, and they share little in common with the malevolent chromatic dragons or the typically virtuous metallic dragons. Despite their neutral alignment, they do not have a closer kinship with, with gem dragons, even though they both tend toward neutrality. To find their closest relatives, it's more appropriate to group solar dragons with what you could refer as the environmental dragons. So this category is somewhat vague, I know, and also includes moonstone dragons and the deep dragons. Uh, while true dragons have their natures influenced by their connections to the draconic deities of Bahamut and Tiamat, these creatures have diverged from their true draconic lineage and, and have adapted to flourish in more specific environments. So just as Moonstone Dragons transformed into Gem Dragons after generations spent concealed in the Feywild and Deep Dragons emerged after millennia dwelling in the crushing darkness of the Underdark, Solar Dragons may have evolved through the process of dragons adapting to establish their homes in the depths of wild space, particularly within the hearts of stars. Solar Dragons are revered by their majestic and gracious demeanor. They relish their freedom to roam around the stars and are known for being equally playful and fierce. While they do amass treasure and riches like most other dragons, solar dragons place an even greater value on nourishment and food, and their collected treasures are often coated in their saliva to shield them from the detrimental effects of proximity to active stars. Despite their benevolent nature, solar dragons are territorial predators. They may stake their claim on asteroid belts or even entire star systems as their hunting grounds. However, due to their respect for intelligent life, they are careful not to consume any form of sentient beings. Solar dragons establish their lairs in one of two distinct locations commonly encountered throughout wild space. So either in the hollows of a barren drifting celestial body illuminated by the radiance of distant stars or deep within the very cores of stars themselves. And although some solar dragons often regard most humanoid races as troublesome and inconvenient, 
They do on occasion fulfill the role of mounts in specific situations. So noble-born astral elves, for example, possess the unique ability to magically conjure solar dragons for brief interludes. I think once every day is how often they can do that. Yeah. And on the front of the book, it looks like there's you get a picture of a mount. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Interestingly enough, I could not find any information on lair actions for these dragons. Maybe I'm blind, maybe I missed it, but I couldn't find it. No, no, you're Mm -mm. you're you're not wrong. It's they're so big, right? Like when they're gargantuan and they're out in space and they're just out in the cold, hard. I feel like they have layers, but their layers are more regions. Yeah, they do have some interesting regional effects. So solar dragon layers are, um, a solar dragon customarily layers in a star's radiant core or nests in a gigantic hollowed out rock engulfed by the star's blinding radiance. A star in which a solar dragon makes its lair has two regional effects. The first is blinding radiance. So a creature that is within 10 miles of the star or inside it is blinded by its intense light unless the creature has protective gear to shield its eyes, such as goggles of the night or similar form of eyewear. There's no save for that. You are just blind if you're within 10 miles of this dragon lair, unless you have a mechanical reason not to be. And and stellar incineration. So any creature that enters the star at, at the start of its turn inside it takes... 24 d10 radiant damage i took that damage actually from the ancient table i'm not sure if it's different for adult i should have checked previously but for an ancient that's still a lot of damage just for starting your turn inside the lair mm-hmm. in the uh, book no, it does that, not that, differentiate it yeah no that's the, that's true for all layers it's more like it's about the suns that they like to live in more than the dragons themselves right Right, yeah. right, yeah. Right, so before we move into the different age categories, then I do have some questions. Uh, maybe we should roll initiative, and then I'm, uh, I'll go from there with you. Got a 15. 16. Ooh. Seven. All right, so. Adam, you're first. Harry, you got the sweet um, spot, damn it. <laughs> Between my two favorite people. <laughs> before we, uh, so before we jump into the mechanics, Adam, how do you feel about the lore surrounding these dragons? I'm amazed that you managed to pull out as much as you did out of those four fucking tiny paragraphs in the Spelljammer book. Um, These box set books are um, so light on lore and material. They really do feel like they're a decent sized... Okay, sorry. Total sidebar. I've looked at Planescape now. So we have two of these. And it looks like we get an adventure that's a decent size. And then we have just enough lore to support the adventure and just enough monsters to support the adventure plus a sprinkling of other shit they feel like they need to throw in all the time in every single book, like a dragon. So this is very much an afterthought, and it feels that way, right? Like, we don't get any drawings about, and and no real information about the kind of lair that they have. Sure, it's inside a star, what can you say or do about this? But you could have given us something about suns that are like this, or they, you know a solar dragon's in it if it's, I keep, fuck, I'm going to keep saying solar, because of the solar angel, and I've got, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm gonna work against that. But like the solar dragon, you were picking up my accent. <laughs> At the end of the undead episodes, right now, <laughs> the stinger to show, like, hey, we're we're done these episodes, is now you going, oh, it's just an Ohio thing, just an Ohio thing. <laughs> and surely your accent would be throwing a random Y in there, like it would be solar. Yeah. <laughs> I just extend the A's, solar. <laughs> But uh, no, the the lore here is fine. 
How much of this did you have to go to like Google for? A lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it. And really, I mean, it, and pulling law from like previous editions and like, uh, you know, earlier publications of things. But you're right. It was so light. Um, and that's why there isn't a whole lot of specific site, really. It's just kind of uh, wider descriptions of the little bit of law that we already had in the in the recent books. And if I can be honest, the shit that they have in there about dragon eggs made me really mad. Not because of the info they provide, but because they could have been providing info on eggs this entire fucking time, and they knew right. it, and they chose uh-huh. not to. And I've been I complaining about this for how many fucking dragon episodes now? I am I so mad. I think they stole it from us. They're like, <laughs> yeah. they've got a point over there. <laughs> we should be including eggs. <laughs> so... I like I like the sun stuff, but honestly, that that doesn't feel like Dragon Lair shit. That just feels like don't go into a star. That should have just been a mechanic in the regular Spelljammer shit, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Like the dragon isn't sense. even the dragon isn't even the most obvious reason why you wouldn't go into the star. Yeah. Like you know, don't go into the mountain because of the dragon. This this should be don't go into the star because stars are already very dangerous <laughs> yeah. because a dragon star. There, I know. <laughs> yeah. so i just think that look i'm a big science fiction fan and i fucking love my star trek and star wars and everything in between there are enough weird ridiculous things that you can do out there in space they could have had a solar dragon on a little planetoid that keeps getting hit by solar flares so it's dangerous and then every you know initiative count 20 you have the the potential getting hit by radiant damage like they could have built a layer they just said nope lives in the middle of and i know that that's traditional but fifth ed doesn't give a fuck about that they take the path of least resistance when it comes to lore right they give us the basic broad strokes and say you can do the research yourself right and so i'm the lore itself is fine. I'm just kind of more bitter at the lack of of what we're given here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Also, does it feel like? And I know that we haven't gotten we haven't gotten into stat blocks yet. You should be radiating damage. If any dragon were to have an aura, it should be a solar dragon, right? Like, yeah. they live in suns. That there should be there should be some sort of of radiance that like this thing just gives in a 20 foot radius when it's an ancient dragon you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah these things should fucking glow like they do in the artwork right mm-hmm. they don't even cast they, they don't even cast light where are, you gave us all of this cool fizzband shit about connections and spells and there's nothing there's nothing <laughs> i have all right i'm done i'm done with my rant again what they gave us is fine. I'm I am sitting here being bitter about the lack of, of additional paragraphs. It is like I, after I, we've been into such deep dives that it's like that that's it. <laughs> I share that sentiment. Adam Pepperino, what do you feel about the lore of these things? Yeah, I I want more. <laughs> like I just want more of it. I think like everything in it, it gives you just a pass of like two sentences you know like this is what the egg looks like this is what they look like this is their personality and it's all just like two sentences long Um, right especially because these are the dragons where i feel like you would have the most questions right so red dragon lives in a volcano breathes fire okay i get it i I totally get it deep dragon lives in the underdark big eyes you know lives in dark all right I, i get it these are the ones where you go hang on hang on I got a lot of questions about this gigant, this gargantuan dragon that lives in this star, you know, and we don't get anything. All right, yeah. cool. what's a spell that's missing, Adam? 
light is an light. obvious one. <laughs> fuck, right? <laughs> but honestly, like, what is a sunbeam? There's there's daylight. There's anything with like sunshine in it. Mm-hmm. I want to point out the other thing that drives me nuts about this is that they feed on Kindori, which is one of the things that we get in the lore. Kindori are massive space whales that dwarf the size of your of your spell jamming ship. How big are these fucking dragons? At this point, especially when we're in space and there's no like, we don't have to worry about can the environment support them or how big is the nearest swamp for a black dragon to to lay claim in. We we don't have we don't have those limitations. It should say that these things are the size of you know, they're four times, eight, eight times, whatever, the size of your largest spell jamming ship. Just so that yeah. you have the idea that these things are fucking huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, to move away, your the answers you gave, Adam, are all the right answers. I think to, <laughs> to offer something slightly different, I would say maybe some healing magic could be good. Maybe some of those cleric-like spells like spirit guardians could be good on this massive level. Yeah, I mean, all of the, the light ones are the obvious ones. So, Pepperina, you have the hardest job going third. What are some missing spells? Yeah. I mean, also, like, sure, Radiant, but a star is like a burning ball of gas, right? Like, there should be some, like, heat and fire added to it as mm-hmm. well. Like, I was thinking meteor swarm in... would be really good for an ancient solar dragon to get up Yeah, there. like living inside yeah. of that they like they're not even immune to heat so like like a star is more than just radia it's also like extremely <laughs> hot <laughs> how are they alive right like, yeah <laughs> like it's crazy they should what also about... be immune to like fire damage and be able to do that kind of stuff so what about layer actions and regional effects adam well i mean when <laughs> Are you flying your fucking ship into the middle of a star? No, right? You're going to destroy the ship. You talk about the 24D10. That's an average of 132 radiant damage. I don't give a fuck, man. Your your ship's gone, right? Anybody standing on the deck is gone. You're not going into the lair on this. And you're blinded. First you go blind, and then you fly into the sun, and nobody ever hears from you ever again. You, you are incinerated, and that's it. So take the lair out of the sun. Put it near a sun. Make it so that you've got to make saves against being blind, or maybe you're still blinded, and that's that's part of the the exploration path here. But like, there are all sorts of things that we could have done here with like sunspot elementals. So you just like they're little floating balls of light, like will o' wisps and shit that pop up every once in a while. They they're elementals that do radiant damage, um, and we get a little stat block for them, right? And they they generate every so often, or the idea that there are solar winds and so you got to have some sort of protective gear in order to or you have to rig up your your spell jamming ship with some sort of of device to be able to get through to fly towards a star to get close enough to the little planetoid or or whatever that that's beside the star like there should have been something here i like what they gave us with the blinding radiance within 10 miles of a star you're blind that's actually really fucking close. Like if you're if you're within a, a certain number of light years, maybe, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I don't know because we don't have we don't have a layer. We don't have a layer, and the and the region is space, right? So it makes it hard. But I feel like if I'm pulling a paycheck at Wizards of the Coast, I should fucking have these answers. I should spend more right. than than prep time on a podcast thinking about this shit, right? Yeah, and I feel like there should be some sort of. Uh regional effect 
with regards to like radiation poisoning or some sort of lasting effect. I mean, there's a huge in real life obvious one that you're going to get as far as diseases go if you're in a, in a star and then you leave. You know, I think that's coming home with you. Um, but there's, you know, there should be some kind of say for at least a D&D version of this radiation poisoning or something, something to add to the diseases table. Well, or, like or even, just, even just levels of exhaustion. Yeah. Just like, well, we can replicate the idea of radiation poisoning with exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's exhausting just to lie down in the sun. For two hours. I, I am a ginger. I, that would kill me. I would die <laughs> if I laid in the... If if I have a high-powered light bulb in my house, I, I end up in the hospital. <laughs> not enough sunscreen in the world. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I literally need medicated sunscreen. Yeah. Uh, lair actions, regional effects, Pepperina, before I move us on. Yeah. Um, Regional action or regional effects are like, usually my favorite thing so i was sad there wasn't really a ton here um because like i said like the things we get are just because it's a star and like it's not because there's a dragon in the star um mm-hmm. so i was very disappointed in that and do they like they don't really even go into what how they like make their layer like how they carve it out or what it looks like like i'm so used to getting that stuff now and like because it has all these tunnels it does this and i don't know i missed it okay all right you know what i would do for a layer well while you were talking there uh-huh. i would have it have this planetoid whatever that, that it lives on that is just radiating heat so you're making saves against heat all of the mm-hmm. time because this rock is literally just burning. It is on fire, right? But the dragon has set up a number of um, large rocks and outcroppings, not as protection themselves, but as shadows. These are safe places that you can be in from the from the sun, because wherever they're, they're not casting shadow would be blasted with such intense heat or intense um, solar energy that you would have, you would have to like, you, you know the spell Wall of Fire, right? Mm-hmm. You make that, but it's radiant damage for anywhere that's not in shadow. So you can move from one section of the layer to the other, but you'll take a ton of damage. There are not literally walls, but there are technically, you know, barriers all the way around in this layer. Right. So that'd be really cool to be like, hey, I can get into the next chamber to help my friend who's in, who's fighting the dragon, or I can take, you know, four turns to get around this light beam to get there with without taking damage right and you start to to think about it from that perspective of like it's a maze but you could pass through the walls and every time you do you just take fuck tons of damage right if if you're a cleric you you might do that you that might be okay if you are resistant to radiant damage for whatever reason yeah risk it but i mean and your barbarian of course is just getting his flesh peeled off every 10 seconds loving it but your but your rogue isn't your wizard will have to teleport like it just adds a new level of exploration to it like you can you can't see it because it's blinding white light everywhere but you you could just walk there if you wanted just walk through the danger yeah okay yeah so as adam mentioned earlier we did get a little insight into their eggs but what is a unique feature that you might add to the solar dragon's eggs they glow <laughs> Again, like we're we're trapped in light and radiance with these guys, right? I would have okay. Here's my thing: most dragon eggs in my head they need to be like 
the red dragon egg needs to be in lava in order to hatch. The black dragon egg needs to be in acid, right? The blue dragon egg is crackling with electricity, and every once in a while, the blue dragon will hit it with a mild breath weapon just to keep the charge going. So every one of them is like based kind of on their their damage type. But for a solar dragon, I would very much have it be cold as all fuck. It needs to be in the absolute vacuum of space. If it's too warm, it's not going to hatch. And maybe that's why we have deep shadows in the lair, but still super close to the sun. And the the solar dragon is trying to find the balance between the two, right? So I don't know. Like We also don't get a, a whole lot of information about the breath weapon, right? It does radiant damage. Go oh, fuck, of course it does. So does does it just need to be in light? Is it photosynthesis that, that lets these things hatch? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to link it to any real-world science uh, with these things. I I think as they hatch, there should be a burst of radiant energy. Like, I don't think it would be particularly safe to be around as these things hatch. Uh, so maybe that could be included. But outside of that, it's we're just reinventing light in different ways, the use of light in different ways, I think. Pepperina. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're black obsidian, like, and then they start to glow or become right. like translucent right before they hatch. And I think that translucentness would be the dragon getting its like radiant, like it's building it and it's there, and then it like burst open. Um, right. But yeah, it would very much like Terry said, burst open and like like a explosion of radiance and light when it hatches like you wouldn't be able to actually look at it while it hatched i think you right. would get that blinding effect as well because it would just be yeah. a glow you know i like the i like what you said about it hatching like let's not focus on what it does as an egg but during the hatching process mm -hmm. do you think that the dragon egg shell like the bits and pieces of it would cast light after it hatches or do I you think, think that should. do you think they're magically dark in the first place like they they cast darkness to to hide and hold the solar dragon embryo i guess until it's ready to burst free and then it's too powerful for the darkness so like if you're holding it you are in 10 foot radius darkness or something like there could be a thing about the the shells afterwards yeah that's right that's right this next one i thought was harder for this particular type of dragon what do you feel are any obvious allies or minions for solar dragons space kobolds <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's not going to be cobalt, is it? It's not the obvious. It's not the low hanging fruit. Um, so, solar wyverns. Like, where are we going with this? Yeah. <laughs> We're not getting much of anything here. Um, I don't know. You'd have to flip through the the fucking book. I we know that it's astral elves, right? Can use these guys occasionally as mounts. So astral elves makes a certain amount of sense. These guys are are typically neutral. You gave us this kind of like playful aspect from the lore that's not in the fifth edition book right but is in previous editions it says they give a wide berth to humanoid folk and they don't like to eat them that that thing like they don't want to eat them again not in the fifth edition lore so i feel like they're more content floating around with like space entities than with people yeah yeah it's it's not going to be low level minions is it? it's not going to be kobolds i feel like it's going to be the most brilliant minds in the cosmos. I think I'm thinking more of allies than minions. I don't think a solar dragon particularly needs minions, um, but we may certainly have allies from some of the higher ranking people or the more brilliant minds in, in, in some of the races that are around astral elves makes sense. Uh, but I don't think I'd be trying to squeeze uh, kobolds or drakes in there or anything. 
it it'd be yeah. a good argument to have a dragonborn who's a cleric who's a, like a light cleric yeah who could be an ally of a solar dragon but like i'm stretching it here yeah yeah it's also I mean, hard like the celestials just... is right there as well as you know yeah like there's only so many monsters that we get for space too like to pick from that it could even attempt to be um like we're even stretching like what could we pick from regular D &D, uh, like on on a planet <laughs> and bring to space but there's not a ton here that we can transfer over yeah i think we're we're trying to force something which is typical of dragons is to have allies and minions but i just what i mean what's the purpose of an ally you do it to strengthen yourself um to to for against other threats but I mean, these things are absolutely gargantuan. They dominate stars because they make the star their home. So the threat needs to be bigger than that for them to have an ally in the first place. Ooh, ooh, I'll tell you what it is. Okay, I just got it. You, it's the cult of the dragon. That That's your way into the allies here. If these guys... Think about if a gargantuan dragon lived in our sun. We would be fucking worshipping that thing. Uh-oh, did I leg out? Yeah, that's true. That's right. You did a bit, but you're back. It was okay. just your video. Your audio was okay. Yeah, no, like I, I think that's the answer here is that the terrestrial surface-born, like nearby dwelling creatures that can see their sun or their star probably worship the dragon, even though the dragon never comes down to surface level, never enters the atmosphere, right? So they can see this thing swirling around in the sky at night right um yeah but uh and they worship it but it doesn't directly interact with right so right right i, I would almost treat it like a, a especially an adult or ancient like a dragon god that lives in the sun and does what it wants yeah exactly that this 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 next part i found harder because they're in the middle of a blinding star again it's another question that we would ask for dragons as they typically are, but what kind of treasure do you expect to find in the horde of these dragons? Well, you know, lots of like 50 foot ropes and um, the odd lantern <laughs> and a lantern. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, he's, he's a solar dragon. He gives lights. I bet he's got candles in the star, right? Yeah. Like where are we going with this shit? Obviously magic shit that can like withstand the sun. I can see your notes, Terry here. And like, you've got a lot of really good answers. So I'm just going to defer to you on your turn, but yeah, I would I would be scouring the DMG for all the magic items. Going, is this close enough? Is this good enough? Can I can I just tweak one word or homebrew this to make it make sense? And also, you're never going to go in and get the stuff. You're going to die because you're entering a star. So like, mm -hmm. when it, it's stuff you have to trade for. You need to talk to the solar dragon to be like, hey. I know you have this in your star. Can we get it, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, did. I put a few items out, but again, I was trying to to reskin things that kind of already existed and, and really reaching. I was like, okay, well, some sort of celestial artifact, stardust, yeah. moon, water, I guess, maybe moon in there. Water. <laughs> um, yeah. Like celestial art pieces. What does that look like? Uh, you know, and then the things that could be more practical, like an astral compass I have in there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's tough. You're just trying not to add the word radiant or celestial to something that already exists. And you're right. It's you're you're blinded in there. You're not going to get it. And uh, how these things are surviving in there, I have no idea. Anyway, 
the uh, the ones that you have listed out here, which I think are really brilliant, is star forged weapons and armor. Like those have got to be magical yes. things, right? Like that's a really cool idea. Planar portal keys. That's a really cool idea. We get more about portal keys and shit in Planescape. Um, and the idea of celestial music. I thought that was yeah. that would be really cool as well. Angel music. Mm. Yeah, like there are a bunch of like hollowed out stones and whatnot that when the when the solar wind hits it at the right time, it's almost like wind chimes and it makes different yeah. music and shit. Like I think that's really cool. So there, there would be some neat things. Maybe, and maybe that's how you open up a portal: is you got to hit the right level of celestial music, the vibrations, then open up a thin space. You can, you can get back to the astral sea or or whatever. So either that was like you got some great answers on on your list there, like healing elixirs, of course, a luminous tapestry. Like Terry, can you can you DM one of these for me, please, so that we can we'll try. Yeah, can can you do a spelljammer campaign? It only needs to be like eight episodes. I just want to dick around with the solar dragon so I can get some of these cool artifacts you came up with. Uh, Pepperina, anything? Well, in your your lore, it said that they are more concerned about nourishment and food too. So I think you would definitely find an area for that in there as well for just like, I don't know, it'd be like a food pantry. <laughs> like instead of a treasure hoard, they would just have a whole area um, where they have food and, and that. And I imagine like space is very vast and food can be scarce. So they have to hoard it and like for their own well-being. And I, I think that would be where that comes into play. Yeah, it's fair. That's actually, that's a good point about how vast space is. People don't understand. It is, mm -hmm. it, it is nearly beyond our comprehension to understand the vastness of empty space out there. That's one thing that I would really love for solar dragons to have is a membrane or something that they can like put out as some sort of solar sail to be able to ride, you know, the the solar waves and whatnot so that they could travel faster than the, I think the most they get at at ancient, I don't know who has, who has the ancient dragon. Well, I have an open, it's 120 feet. Okay. Yeah. Terry, like how fast does it move? I bet it's less than 200 feet around. And I'm like, that's. Yeah. Not enough. You will starve before you get to the next planet. Be, uh, its walking speed is thirty feet, and it flies one hundred twenty feet, but it can hover. Now I know that that it said that walking speed just like snakes have a walking speed, but fuck off. That should have been a slithering speed. It's a solar dragon. Yeah. Why does it ever land? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Especially if it hovers anyway. What's the point? Right. That's like a, why would a beholder land if it could? It wouldn't. Alrighty. Okay, team. All right, let's move it on through here. Let's go through the breakdowns of the age categories. Who's DM2 on this one? That's so we break me. the fourth wall and I'll highlight it. Pepperina, you're yeah. starting us off with Wormlings, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I had the wrong I had the wrong dragon pulled up. <laughs> my computer's just filled with dragon notes and undead notes, like like my desktop. It's just one day I'll use them for something. At, at, at some point, worlds <laughs> will collide when we do the uh, Death Dragon, and then you're gonna you're gonna be blown away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Wormling, we get a medium dragon. They're typically neutral. Their CR is three, and they have a natural armor of fifteen, with an average of about fifty-one hit points. Like we said, they have a walking speed of twenty feet, but 
no feet and there's nowhere really for them to land in space. I don't know how often you're using that. <laughs> they have a hovering fly speed at this age of 40 feet. So yeah, the vastness of space, a wormling is not getting very far away from their lair in any amount of time. It's a sun. It would yeah. fly its entire fucking lifespan at that speed to even get to the edge of the sun. Right. <laughs> Looking at their stats, constitution is their highest with a plus four, followed by strength with a plus three, dex with a plus two, and wisdom has a plus one, intelligence and charisma both a plus zero. Saving throws, they get a plus two to charisma, a plus three to wisdom, a plus four to dex and a plus six to constitution. Uh, skills, they get a plus four to stealth and a plus five to perception. They're immune to radiant damage and being blinded. They get dark vision of 120 feet and speak draconic. They get two abilities. The first is flyby. The dragon doesn't provoke opportunity attacks when it flies out of reach of an enemy. And the second is unusual nature. The dragon doesn't require air which i'm guessing is a typical thing in spell jammer for all yeah yeah a lot of the stuff that just mm -hmm. is in space doesn't need air yeah required for space also, yeah. like like we said though they get they only have immunity to radiant when they're outside of their sun space is really cold <laughs> like should they not also have cold immunity to even just survive in space you would goddamn think so it depends like <laughs> Spelljammer is is weird because it's it's you get off your planet, which is like an orb, like a real planet. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to shock anybody out there. The Earth is round, so I know hot take going, in twenty twenty three. Hot take. We're going on a hard stance yeah. here on the Tzimik podcast. <laughs> Are they still going? I just ignore anything which is ridiculous these days. Good luck. Good luck. I'm going to work. Bye. You do you. But uh, but when you get beyond the globe of your of your planet, you get into space and like you actually go through the vacuum of space. There are moons and your sun and other planets and whatnot. And all of this is called wild space. And then you get to like the border of it where you essentially pop through a bubble into floating magical plasma nonsense where you just like ride around in the space between solar systems and like instead of it just being more vast empty space there's shit to do and that's where your astral sea is and all that stuff so that's there is shit out there but like we still have to go through wild space first and there's almost nothing about that in fifth edition like what exists in a wild space it's space how long does it take to get to the border of the wild space to get into the actual space beyond nah, doesn't matter don't, don't worry about it it's it's all right like does just the astral plane is over there you'll get there They'll travel, I don't know, 2D, <laughs> 10 days or whatever, which is just, there's no sense of scale for any of this shit, right? Right, right. So I could, I could rant for a while about this. This is where Spelljammer <laughs> falls apart. I can handle colonial hippos with, with shotguns. I can handle that. I can do mind flayers and sentient asteroids and shit, but like space is big mm -hmm. and cold and it should be. And it's complicated, and we don't know if the interns working in Seattle to, to write these books of wizards are they're truly knowledgeable <laughs> about this subject matter, especially when they're trying to then combine it, jam it together mm -hmm. uh, with all of the fantasy stuff that we have. And that's why they call it spell jamming. I got it, Terry. 
You fixed yeah, it all. That's it. Fixed it. I fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, I've got a little bit more with with the wormlings. So we get a multi-attack with one bite and one tail. Um, they don't have a claw attack like most dragons would, because they don't have claws, I would assume. Um no, they, they only have, have like wings, like they don't have legs. Things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean they could maybe slap you with their flipper thing. <laughs> it's a wing, it's not a flipper, it's a it wing. It looks like a, a flipper. flipper. Have you seen those? Those are flippers. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. They do I'm... look like big flippers. they do. <laughs> is there a swim speed? There's no swim speed. Well, no, it's space. Well, There's so it's no not water. a flipper then, is it? <laughs> also, is this the only the only like wormling art that we get where a dragon doesn't have teeth? Yeah. Like it very much looks like a bird. It does the beak, but then when you get into the ancient, they have like vampire teeth. I know, like I'm not yeah. not quite sure what's happening here with the artwork. Again, yeah. I don't think there was a lot of cohesion here when, when they were coming up with uh, Spelljammer. So yeah, <laughs> right, right. They were yeah. just like, hey, throw more racist monkey people in in, in the floor, <laughs> and we're happy. So. Right. Yeah, those are some time. pretty vampiric teeth for the ancient. We'll do the ancient when we get there. But it's like clearly there's a lot of tearing of flesh expected by these yeah. dragons to have those uh, those canines like right. that. But also, they don't have a teeth at Wervling, but they have a bite attack. So <laughs> they're just like pecking I, at you. I guess I, I, I'm telling you now, Canadian <laughs> geese do not have teeth, but that bite uh-huh. attack does. It does more than just like slashing damage. That also does. Oh, yeah. I would take on a dragon damage. before a Canadian goose. Just saying. <laughs> you can always tell who the newer people to Canada are because they will let their children chase the geese as though they're maybe they're coming from the UK where the geese are not that dangerous. And uh, when I see that, I think, oh, this must be their first time. They have no idea what's going to happen when that goose decides to fight that two year old. We get them down here, and I, I. Will like I will walk very far to avoid. <laughs> they've got that. They've got that big red dragon energy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right, we're still on their right. their multi attack. <laughs> okay, go on. You so keep their going. bite attack without any teeth <laughs> is a plus five to hit with a one d six plus three piercing and a one d six radiant damage, and their tail attack has a plus five to hit and a 10 foot reach and does 1d4 plus three bludgeoning um they do have a breath weapon it is the photonic photonic breath weapon is that how we say that word no photonic 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 <laughs> and it recharges uh, not like pho- t- you're saying it like titanic photonic. I'm just going to have to say this word 20 times. Terry and I have both watched enough Star Trek to know how you pronounce photon. Uh (laughs) Yeah. 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 So so photonic breath. Like like photograph. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I got it. I got it. Um, I only got to say it like a couple more times. We're good. Um, And that recharges on a five or six like most breath weapons do. The dragon exhales a a flashing moat of radiant energy that travels to a point the dragon can see within 120 feet of itself and then blossoms into a 10-foot radius sphere centered at that point. Each creature in the sphere must make a con save, taking... 4d10 radiant damage on a fail or half on a success all right 
We, fu- we made it through wormlings. That's all I got. <laughs> we're good. We're good. <laughs> Ask us questions. <laughs> um. So the bite you said the bite was still piercing, right? They didn't go for the obvious like switch it to bludgeoning. I guess the bludgeoning attacks the tail attack, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's, un- what's unusual? What's yeah? I'm gonna say the tail attack is unusual here. Like yes. yeah. we don't normally get that. It's normally bite and claws. When Jim it comes doesn't to even have tail attacks at all. Like none of the gym dragons have tail attacks at all. Yeah, and I like the ones in the monster manual don't get them until they're adult and ancient, right? Or that's and it's a, like a legendary. In. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. the fact that's that right. it, yeah, the tail attack is but it's because we don't have claws, right? So yeah, they had to give it something. Yeah. And I guess slipper ah. slap is not on the books. Okay, so that's the warmly pepperini. You're also doing the young dragon. So why don't you go straight to young Correct. dragon? Then we can talk about the differences. Okay. Like, I'm sorry. There's nothing here. I'm sorry, Peps. Like <laughs> the numbers go up. The numbers go up. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and we won't force it. It's okay. We don't need to spend 15 minutes talking about nothing. We won't no. force it. There's no much change. We'll say that and we'll go until there is. Yep. I just in my notes, I just have how the numbers go up, really. <laughs> like yep. how they bump up. So they're now large dragons and they're still neutral. Um, their CR goes up to an eight and their AC is a 16 now. Um, their hit points do nearly triple from at this age to an average of 147. So that's probably their biggest bump. Um, their walking speed stays at a 20 um, and their fly is now a 60. Looking at their stats, strength gets the biggest bump and is now equal with constitution. And they both have a plus five dexterity stays the same with a plus two um wisdom bumps up and also gets a plus two intelligent and charisma is now a plus one um they have the same saving throws they all get two to three points added um their highest being constitution with a plus nine perception now has there's like a percentage instead of (laughs) a number on there what (laughs) This is why I reread my notes before uh, I it, it, it's bumped from do. 15 to 20. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, that gets a little bit of a bump. Um, perception stealth get has a plus six now. Their damage and condition immunities are the same. Dark vision is the same. Unlike other dragons that would normally get common at this stage, they still only have draconic as a language. Um, so I did find that interesting that they don't. They they never get common. Like that they just shows never... you how much they don't interact with people. Yes. They only ever have draconic as a language. Um, and their abilities don't change. For attacks, we still have the one bite and the one tail. Um, bite is now a 10-foot reach with a plus nine to hit and does 2d6 plus five piercing and 2d6 radiant. The tail attack is now a 15-foot reach with a plus nine to hit. And does 1d6, I think, 1d6. Yeah, plus five bludgeoning. Um, the photonic breath is now a 20-foot spear and does 8d10 radiant on a fail and half on a success. Those are our differences. The, the most interesting thing, it's not, it's not anything that's changed, but something that failed to change was the languages. To think that mm-hmm. these are, they're smaller at this point, but they're these gargantuan creatures that live inside stars. And, you know, the fact that they're so incredible, but somebody could come along speaking common and they're going, what is this creature saying? Like, it just seems strange that they wouldn't mm-hmm. know that. Also, in my opinion, 
if you float out in space and there's not a whole lot of air, you don't need lungs to breathe. Shouldn't they have telepathy in order to communicate? Right. If you yeah. don't need lungs to breathe, do you have lungs to breathe? And if not, how are you speaking? Yeah. So I mean, but then is it still a breath weapon? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great point. Like again, I think these guys should have auras <laughs> and not necessarily breath weapons. Yeah. And this because it's a moat of flashing radiant energy it kind of operates in the same way the fireball does which is just a little beam that then explodes in this case into a cylinder so it's more like a breath whistle it's just a little it's just a in, in the direction is i imagine how it would happen yeah i did like that like most breath weapons come from the dragon itself like that's where it's either a line or a cone um i yeah. did like that it travels to a spot and then explodes um, yeah, I thought that was a unique, fun twist on a breath weapon. Hey, anything else we should zoom in on here for the difference between the young and the wormling? Um, yeah, we we can see that the reach is getting bigger for the bite. We don't normally get that in draconic mm -hmm. stat blocks. Like a bite's five foot, five foot, five foot all the way through, but it's going to go up by five feet for every age category, and that's just the nature of the worm itself, right? Is that the tail starts off at 10 feet and goes up by five feet every round or every size category. And the bite starts off at five feet for wormling and goes up by five every time. So there's actually quite a bit of range. This thing I feel is supposed to be coiled up and striking. Mm -hmm. Like a snake. Yeah. Which is odd considering it's also fucking hovering above you. So like that's yeah. that can be a really cool visual image. Like I kind of like that about these these dragons is that that feels very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, okay. Let's do a new initiative roll. Move down here. Twelve. Eighteen. I got eighteen as well. We're oh. going to put a lot of pepper in it. I now got twelve. Oh, I got a nine. All right. Okay, well, so I. It's good. I don't um, want to go first. <laughs> I'm going first. Okay. Let's do quests. Clock plot hook um specifically to kill it i think that there would be from the humanoid's point of view i would do something from the you know the planet the, the world that they're on i don't think it should be immediately obvious that there's a solar dragon if there's some sort of celestial body that's causing problems maybe they're getting solar flares that touch on what adam said earlier maybe strange kind of cosmic movements something that's disrupting what's going on on the planet and so the, the you know the, the the quest is to travel to this celestial body to the star to see what needs to be done to stop it. All the while, it should never be uh, totally obvious. There should be clues that it's a solar dragon, but it should not be apparent until they get there and discover that it is the activity of a solar dragon, which is causing this. I think it's a pretty, uh, that's, there's a lot of variables and, and flavor which you can add and switch around with that, but I think that's a pretty good framework for a quest and it's a pretty obvious one for a solar dragon. Yeah, I mean, I think the like the biggest reason to go look for one of these is that they're somehow affecting the planet that you're on, right? Like the heat radiating off of the sun because of this dragon is affecting the planet and you have to figure out why and you might not even know that it's a dragon there but you just need to figure out like i don't know whatever the D, &D equivalent of astronauts are <laughs> would, would fly up into space and uh you know try and figure that out um because they're not I don't feel like they're coming to your planet or to your ship to really wreak havoc or bother you they're just sort of doing their thing 
um, unless it's to collect treasure or something. Um, so it would have to be an environmental situation, I think, to have to go hunt them. Honestly, the thing that I'm looking at as far as like general role playing for these guys or it's not so much about the quest. I think that there's enough reasons to go find the the hermit creature, right? Mm-hmm. Like we there's a lot of go here, talk to this creature or kill this creature or whatever, get to this thing, come back. That's pretty common in D&D. But I, I like how standoffish it is because I think that you would get conflicting rumors from everybody. Like mm-hmm. the solar dragon cult worships him and like, oh, he can do a million different things. He's He can fly this fast and he's got, he can light atmospheres on fire and like there's all of these big crazy ideas behind him but it's just a fucking young solar dragon mm-hmm. right but but the cult worships and then there'd be other people like yeah man we fly by its lair on a frequent basis it never comes up and bothers us uh although we think that it's got and like there just be rumors all the time you'd have to go to astral elves to get the truth right and so going to fight it going to interact with it your players should have conflicting information from yeah. everybody else about what to expect, how to treat it. And because it's neutral, you don't even know if it's hostile or not. Right. Um, I had a thought to add to mine Yeah. <laughs> while you were talking. Because um, I realized we we're talking about wormlings and um, I had the thought about the eggs exploding. That would be your environmental impact. The egg exploding uh-huh. so hard that the radiance of it shoot like the waves shoot through your planet, and that's why you're coming after the wormlings specifically. Um, oh, you know that there, that there's the eggs hell. in there, and you've got to do something before they blow up. Yeah, like they're like one explodes, and in, in the picture, there's three of them there, so there's yeah. more than one. So you have to like figure out how to stop this before it they all explode and your whole planet. It's gone. Uh, yeah, I do like that. I like that. Okay, I'm going to move on to exploration then. And because we didn't get a whole lot on layers and the details of their nests and their hordes and that kind of thing, I'm going to open it up to you guys and how you would do this. So I'll go first because I rolled highest. I think for the layers, I would, because the blinding light, I may have the layer even not to to be probably not too interesting with what's going on around. Like it's not going to be tunnels and that kind of thing. It may just feel like you're very kind of still and just moving through this blinding light, but you will be faced with, as you go through each layer, different kinds of crazy sort of celestial challenges uh, and skill tests and and, and traps in, in interesting ways where you're not necessarily physically interacting with it. This sort of, this could be some sort of, crazy um equation or something that hits the wizard some sort of like celestial contact that they've never had before and so there would be some sort of skill challenge or or, or essentially like a trap they have to overcome where they it, it would be like intelligence based or arcana based where they need to solve this equation or try and understand what's coming into their mind and if they fail there'll be a consequence for that in the same way that as you try and pick the lock on the chest if you fail there's going to be a consequence for that so I would try and reskin how all of these things are done because the environment is probably just going to be very vague and blinding light. Does that make sense, what I'm saying to you? That makes and then as you would move through the next layer, you would be hit with a different kind of challenge, which would need to be probably very theater of the mind. It's not going to be like picking locks because I'm going to be trying to draw from the other skills that are that are under use. So Adam talked earlier about uh, about the music behind, the celestial music. Okay, well, this is perfect. So now there's some sort of 
locker, you know, celestial gateway that needs to go by, but I can lean heavily into arcana checks and performance checks as the way to um, pick this lock, so to speak. I I absolutely freaking love that. I mean, it's not my turn, but but I the layers we we've just completely given up on the fucking lore for the layers, right? Like, no, we're not in the star. That's bullshit. <laughs> Fuck you. We're do, we're doing our own thing, and uh, and and our own thing, by the way, is more D and D, right? Yeah, it makes it yeah viable for adventurers. Yeah, because the way the layer is set up, like you're not you're not even getting in it. Like you're just not like you would have to be so high powered to like even step foot. A low level party is not getting close to one of these layers. Um and if you're going at this stage of wormling or young, you are not high enough power to step foot into their layer. Like you're just, you're just not, I mean, it's a, if you enter the star or start your turn in it. So is that every single turn you start in the star after entering? Yeah. You take every six seconds, 24 D 10 radiant damage. How many rounds are you lasting? Your, your bear totem barbarian is going to do four rounds max. Your yeah. wizard is dead before they can like get to the end of their first round. And that's at max level. So I think with this age group, um, if you wanted to come across them, they would have to be outside of the lair. And I think wormlings and young, I think they're they are gonna want to explore a little bit more. They are gonna be more curious of what's out there. So you might see one not terribly far from the layer, but not in the layer where you have to actually take that damage. But it yeah. is also getting past the blinding to even see them. So you would have to, like, if you had those goggles that they mentioned, you would maybe see this, like, flying around outside of the star, if it was going to be in a star, um, is how you would you would see. You would just see, like, a little ball of light floating around as you get right. closer, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adam, you didn't get to take your turn properly yet, so you go ahead. I, I'm going to look at the idea. They don't have allies. They don't have, you know, the, it talks about their food sources, but they're kind of just generic. Look at these other monsters in the in the Spelljammer bestiary, right? So I'm sitting here looking at it going, I think these things need to be a fucking force, force of nature. When we talk about layers, normally wormlings and young don't get a layer, but there's nothing else to do with these dragons. There's nowhere that they're going to be. Right. They're not going to like consolidate power with a local kingdom or go work on getting minions or building. Like they get a horde, but where are they getting that horde from? So they've got to be interacting with spell jamming ships. They've got to be interacting with with uh, civilizations on the ground. And so when it comes to layers, I'm thinking first of all, if they enter an atmosphere, they've got to be igniting the freaking like air around it it's going to look like a massive asteroid coming in and that's going to be probably a religious event for a lot of creatures on the ground there's and if it lands everything around is going to glow it might have a crater like an impact of where it lands even though it's a dragon and it it can control you can have this thing coming in at such high speeds that it is going to impact. It is a cosmic event if this comes in nearly extinction level if it comes in near a city, right? And that could be part of my my um, my campaign. My plot hook is is we got to stop it from doing this, and it's already like indicated somehow that this is where it wants to be. But if not there, I would totally have a wormling hole up in like a derelict spelljammer ship, right? 
there's a big ship that goes by full of mind flayers. The solar wormling just showed up and it's like, hey, I, I want this and kills the mind flayers and just moves in. And this thing just tumbles and floats through an orbit around the sun. And that would be the wormling's lair until it gets too big and it needs to get more ships. Maybe by the time you get to Adult or Ancient, it's 25 ships all jammed together and crashed together. And this thing lives inside and and can like literally worm its way through these these corridors of these these big empty ships. I think that would be loads of fun as well to be like, we have to go explore the alien ship, avoid, if you see the light growing and things are starting to illuminate, hide. The dragon is coming. Yeah, I like that because it also gives your players familiar territory to explore, mm -hmm. right? It gives them something, it gives them that an abandoned ship you know they know how to work that but it just means that the environment is going to be different and, and interesting but it still works it, it still works so, anyway. but yeah my problem is that there's no freaking dungeon aspect to these layers right and yeah and so that's what all of us have been struggling to find is that dungeon aspect of the exploration with the layers so yeah that's right that's right okay thinking along the lines of combat then what happens when it dies because even where I know we're doing young dragons right now, and I'm going first, so off I go, that it still feels like it should be some sort of cosmic event. But then I think, okay, well, it's younger, so I don't want it to be a huge cosmic event because that could have some devastating effects that would maybe just derail the campaign or whatever. But even for a younger dragon, what can you do for a cosmic event which isn't going to be disastrous for the surrounding planets and for the players regardless like even if you say oh, okay well it absorbs a bit of the energy from the star or adds to it as it dies and explodes or something that's going to change the size of the star that's going to have a huge knock-on effect or you know even if it, so it's what do you do right outside of just doing something obvious like it dies in a flash of blinding light they're already blinded maybe they take damage it's difficult to have something interesting for that, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I think in that aspect, I would almost have it like when a star dies, like looking into what happens when yeah. a star itself dies. And well, that depends. Okay, in real world, that depends on the kind yeah. of star. That depends right. on like there's so much that goes into that. But so. I think just for the inspiration in my game, I would research into that and just pick which like what I think would have a good impact for yeah. for that game. Um, I think that's just a good place to look for inspiration um, itself for for your game because we don't get a lot in here. So like other ones say like when they die, this effect happens and you know like we don't really get that in this book so that's where i would look for that sort of information i would honestly have like at wormling level it's going to explode in a in a huge flash of light right and then mm -hmm. young and adult when they die they would they would explode um and it would like bleach the surroundings right you would just the, like sun bleach everything um people would get sunburns and and uh there'd be like radiant fire damage but like the environment itself catches on fire if you're new if you're close enough to it or it just gets that like have you have you seen the, the absolutely horrifying images of the shadows left behind after a nuclear explosion where people were just yeah. like walking and they were unprotected this thing exploded and there's all this radiation stuff so that's not what i'm talking about but there's they leave a shadow 
because this is the part of of the environment that wasn't a direct um, path of the light exploding at such a brilliant rate. I would have shadows and and world bleaching and stuff so that you could tell that a, a dragon has died here because of how the shadows are and the fact that all of the houses are bleached white. All of the, the sand here is white. It's not like the rest of the planet, right? Like, I would think about that. And then for an ancient, do we tie it to the sun? If the ancient dies, the sun dims? Like, do we go in that direction? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's I what like I meant that. when, I, when I, mean, I said there's going to be some huge knock-on effect, right? If Because it's going to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the, like, lore of just dragon and lair, like, the lair is magical because the dragon is magical. Um, yeah. So the dragon spending that much time in that sun, though it is a sun and has its own thing would make it more increased so i think it's usually like 1d10 days or something like that like effects like that go away but i don't know in this instance if it would be immediate yeah i like the idea of like the solar dragon dies and then the sun just gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer for like 10 days and then on day 10 there's no sun like it's just dark and it's it's mm-hmm. it then grows back into its normal rate and people will talk about the age of the dimmed sun and shit like that right like when you think about it from the fantasy aspect the people on the ground the witnesses are going to say hey yeah the the uh, the dragon died and we were cast into darkness for 30 days or something like that right Mm -hmm. that feels really fantastical like like we've earned that that's a neat piece of lore i like the idea of if we're switching it from it's just in a sun like just in a star um i like the idea of it's in a meteor or whatever and create makes it a star like this dragon being there is the reason this is a star it was not originally mm -hmm. but the magic of this dragon created this star so once that dragon dies the star is no longer well there's your damn that's great because Sorry, go ahead. Well, that also reveals, I like that because it reveals whatever this, after the dragon dies, reveals whatever that celestial body was anyway. So you're right, it might seem like a star. If the dragon dies and the light is removed and you see that, you know, it's another form of celestial body where maybe there are caverns and layers and, you know, unexplored parts to this now, which is a whole reveal, which you could do for like your next tier, the next part of your campaign. Um, and maybe the because the regional effect thing is only temporary, maybe the light is going to come back or something. So you can have a clock on it for how many days you have to explore or make your way through this. But I like the idea, however you do it, of uh, it not truly being a star. It just appears to be a star because the dragon was there. Could you imagine that you've got to go to this? <clears throat> there's a there's a system out there. There is a world that you got to go to. Nobody's heard anything from this world in the last like 80 years. You go there. You cannot find the planet. It's just two stars. You thought there was only going to be one. The dragon comes out. You fight the dragon to kill the dragon. The the second star dims and you find that it moved into the planet and it took over, made the planet a star. Everybody died. And now this whole planet is just roaming with undead. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. We need to write these things. Wizards hired us. Like <laughs> the Itzemitic think tank is going to yeah. is going to add goddamn pages to your books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we need to move it on to the adult size category. Yeah. I'm gonna keep it brief by saying 
Um, first of all, we're a huge dragon. All of the numbers go up to reflect that. The biggest one now is strength. Khan was the biggest at, at Wormling, but we're now we've moved past that. Khan is is second. So strength is up to a 24. Uh, all of our mental stats are decent for an adult dragon. They're nothing to sneeze at, but they're they're not red dragon or gold dragon by any means, right? So it's interesting that we're getting stealth, considering these things should fucking glow. Like, the stealth gets a big boost. Again, the damage immunities and condition immunities are the same. Passive perceptions up to 23. Dark vision up to 180 feet now, so that's all right. Um, and we're still stuck with only draconic. We still have the flyby. We still have the unusual nature. But now we're getting legendary resistances, and we're getting um, your siege monster. So you're doing double damage to objects and structures. Which clearly is not structures and objects. This this is spell jamming ships. They're talking about it's going to do double damage to the spaceships. That's what we're talking about here. Um, and but we also have something called nebulous thoughts, which just means that any magical attempts to have telepathy to read the dragon's mind to get in there and like psychically fuck with the dragon um, is going to automatically fail for some reason. These things are just protected from psychic bullshit. Um, not psychic damage, but psychic kerfuckery. Uh, the bite and tail attack are still just one and one for multi-attack. Uh, photonic breath has just all the numbers go up. So we're going up to like anything it can see within 180 feet of itself. But it's a 30-foot radius sphere. So it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's still just like 10d10 radiant damage, which I feel like by CR 14... Everyone's going to be, even the wizard is going to be able to withstand 55 hit points worth of damage on average, right? So it, it may hurt. This, with two things from multi-attack and and the breath weapon that recharges on a five or six, I'm not sure this thing is deadly at level 14. I, I, I think your party's just going to shrug it off. Even with the legendary actions, because you just get one more tail attack, which does 1d6 plus 7 damage at this point. Like, that's fucking nothing. And then blinding brilliance, which is just you be blinded if you don't make your DC 19 wisdom save. That costs two actions. This feels weak. Yeah, we're kind of relying on the regional effects here to do a bulk of the damage, really. Mm -hmm. Like the yeah. dragon proper is not is not delivering too much. But also, if you're relying on that, you're already blind. So why do we need a blinding effect as a legendary action? Exactly. And like I want to just... lean into the flyby here, but I've only got 90 foot hover, mm -hmm. right? Or, or like 90 foot fly with the hover. So like, assuming that you are 45 feet away, you swing by and hit them, you go another 45 feet. The rogue is dashing on his turn. The The monk is moving twice as fast as you are. Even the barbarian has increased speed. Like you're not, you didn't get out of combat. You don't have enough speed to get out of combat with your flyby. So with only two multi-attacks of doing 2d6 plus 7 uh, plus 2d6 radiant damage for the bite, and then just 1d6 plus 7 for the tail, you're relying on your reach, I guess, to, to keep you out of combat more than anything else. But there's, there's sweet fuck all here, really, for... Mm -hmm. This is not scary. It's not dangerous. This is not a fighting a red dragon. Right, right. Okay, let's switch fire then as we go into the role-playing here. I'll switch fire a little bit. When, when we get to this adult stage and there's more to this dragon now, what are the role-playing tips um, that you might have? Let's do... Let's roll again. I went first last time. People don't like just listening to me speak all the time. I got a six. 
I got a 16. I got a 3. So, Adam, now that we've got a little bit of uh, age behind the dragon, what are the role-play tips you might have for this? They don't like people, and at this point, they have run into people, right? We're over 100 years old, This thing, which I assume, right, that this has regular dragon ages. So, we're over 100 years old. We are a little xenophobic. We've probably destroyed a couple of spelljamming ships at that point. I bet there have been raiders and aberrations and stuff that have come across our path, but we generally want to live in peace. Like I'm treating this guy like a hermit. And when you show up at his doorstep, he's going to show up with a shotgun or his version of it, which is a photonic breath weapon and say, get off my fucking land. And so I don't think that they're openly hostile. It's just don't provoke them. And they're already again, not paranoid, but standoffish. Like, this is the dragon right, going to say. This this is the dragon's going to say. Nobody comes to bother me unless they want something. What do you want? Yeah, and that's fair. I I would absolutely agree with that. I, and I'm not even sure if they would be helpful. Perhaps they'd be very cryptic. I think is how. I don't even think I was going next. Pepper, were you going next? No, I had a three. I got a six. Okay. Um, I don't even think they'd be particularly helpful. Probably very cryptic, and maybe not even deliberately cryptic. It's just that. They've lived out here in the cosmos for so long, and they understand the tr- the true nature of things, not just the nature from your little bubble, your little planet. They they will have a much longer view and wider understanding of the universe as a whole. And so, where they may be specific requests or, or things that the party is trying to achieve, such as don't destroy our planet or kill all of our people, this long view. And, and reasoning behind why a dragon may be doing something like that or why they can't stop it may not be totally clear. So I imagine that they're probably going to be pretty cryptic in, in all of their answers if they even give you any answers. Like, I don't think you're going to have a, a true conversation with them where you're getting an understanding back and forth. It's not going to invite you in for tea. Yeah. Well, and we have to take into consideration it only speaks Draconic. You're in space. You're not going to have in your party the regular, like, there's always one dragonborn. You're going to have space races that they... Yeah, they're going to be autonomes and thrycreens and shit, right? Right. So how many parties are actually going to be able to talk to it and understand Mm -hmm. what it's saying if it only speaks Draconic? I don't know that parties are going to go into a spell jammer thinking, I'm going to be talking to a dragon. I better take Draconic. What's interesting here is that have you ever seen anything in like a movie or TV show where there's someone on like a little rowboat and then a whale comes up beside it and the giant eyeball just looks at them and takes them in and the two of them, the, the these two creatures, this human and this massive blue whale or whatever, they they see each other, they comprehend each other. There's no communication and the whale just kind of slowly drifts down and moves away. And it's this this moment of awe and you feel like you've been dwarfed by this massive creature. You would do that with a solar dragon. God, I did it again. Solar dragon. <laughs> um, you would absolutely do that, where like this thing pulls up beside you, kind of checks you out for a moment, realizes that you're not a problem, and then moves the fuck on. And that's it. Yeah. That's that's your fucking encounter. Yeah, because it's not even going to see you as food because they don't eat sentient beings. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe that earlier on I made the point of well, why would they only know draconic? Why would they not learn at least, you know, common or something of based on what's going to communicate with them? Why would they? Why would they? You're a flash in the pan to them. Like you said, that idea of the whale spotting the boat and making eye contact with the people and then moving on. Like, that's interesting. 
but you know they're not going to learn your language you know they have no reason to interact with you you have you you make no ripple in their lives um so maybe it does make sense that they only communicate in draconic well that and the fact that you know they've got really uncomfortable teeth growing through their beak at some point during sure. this so it's not <laughs> like they can speak <laughs> through their vampire teeth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right okay and their mouths do just like if you look at the wormling and then the ancient their mouths are just completely different there's there's no consistency here like if you flip back and forth between them they're yeah they're not even the same shape <laughs> there is no yeah that's, they're completely different as well yeah i know i noticed that <laughs> at what point does that like sharp beak go flat and round out <laughs> um Oh, but when I think along the lines of exploration, how this environment is so different to, you know, the environments that we would typically see dragons in, there's not too much of a difference between a volcano where you'd find a red dragon and the rocky underdark where you might find a deep dragon. So what does that mean for solar dragons and how their powers, their their spells, um, their, their even their attacks would kind of manifest on how they would sound in this environment or how they would feel and if they would smell? Like, what are your insights there? Well, I mean, are we dealing with the vacuum of space? Because if that's the case, then it looks, I don't know, it looks normal because it's magic. It's tied into the weave. I'm obviously not going to have any somatic components if it's going to be casting spells, but I've got to make this shit up from the ground up anyway because we don't get spell lists for them. So, um, yeah, the the powers... I Okay, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. The attack that it's doing has got to be from like a coiled standpoint. And so when it's doing the attacks, um, I, I'm frustrated with the fact that this thing has a, at this point... 20 foot reach on its tail and it doesn't have a grapple effect with the tail seems fucking wrong to me if we're going to have a dragon that is 60 percent tail it should have the ability to wrap you up and carry you away so i would very much have that built in and that's going to be one of the tactics that i would use but what i'm talking about is the like the lashing out of the tail and the lashing out of the neck and the, the jaws that come out and it should feel like you're fighting a giant celestial snake um right and i think that when it casts spells i would have the same kind of imagery where it's coiled up and it like its head darts forward and from its mouth the spell is cast almost like it's another breath weapon because it doesn't have claws it doesn't have hands or legs or anything in order to have a uh, somatic component there's no verbal component you're in space right so you're just pushing through sheer will your spells out of the front of you at your target so that's kind of how i would would play the powers and the and any spells and attacks so right right yeah i like that i think for me given this environment i kind of have this rule that i follow as a dm and it's the between the relationship and the dm and the players and it is Play with all of them and play with each of them. And I think this is a, a, an example of where you can play with each of the players individually. Because in this environment where they are blinded, they won't be able to the players, the players are blinded, so they can't see each other, they can't hear each other, they won't be able to feel each other, and they won't be able to smell each other. So they will feel very much alone, even if technically they're together in this environment, because they're going to feel like they're by themselves and they're going to feel like it's them individually 
interacting with this dragon. Adam did this with our group absolutely years ago, I think, when Adam first DM'd me for the first time. He split all of the players up and we had our own individual uh, interactions with different people from our backstory, etc. You could do a similar thing here in this environment where the players are interacting with this dragon individually and they have no idea what the other players are doing. So some of them might try and fight it. Some of them might try and interact with it. Some of them might try and whatever. Logistically, you're going to have to figure out what you would do there. But I think given this environment, this would be a great opportunity to challenge the players and play with each of them individually with this dragon. Can we just acknowledge the fact that the majority of the interactions with this dragon, unless you've decided to give it a special layer or unless it's coming to your ship, the majority of these interactions are theater of the mind, right? Like you're not yeah. looking at the battle map for this. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I like the idea because they have those like astral wings. So they have their like flippery looking wings. And I think that's what they do the actual flying with. But then they have those like almost ethereal, just radiant wings that come off of them. And I would like to see that being where the magic comes from. That's mm -hmm. where the spells come out of. Um, they like move those and like you see the wings like working together and then a spell be cast from that. Um, yeah. I think would be a very cool and interesting way because they don't have like hands to do gestures and somatic ways um, yeah it, it's interesting you saw you see them in, in a different light than i did i saw the those so those like wispy ones on the back as how they fly through space at high speeds and the little flipper ones on the front are how they move through environments to get their like 90 foot fly speed or whatever right but yeah you saw the you saw the ones on the back as being for spells and magic and i, I like that too I, I like that equally like yeah. that, should, that should be both so because i mean if they are flying through space at high speeds like those wings would have some sort of magical way to get them there you know i so, would think i would have to think so yeah absolutely. yeah so i think you could use them in both ways that like those wings are just how they do these special abilities okay thinking combat then what about if this dragon was put into a situation where it felt like it it did have to try hard to fight the party and however they're trying to attack it what kind of tactics do you think that this dragon would use as an enemy for combat uh like i said i'd put grapple on the tail and i've got flyby i would fly yeah. by hit with the with the bite to do my serious amount of damage grapple with the tail pull somebody off of their spell jamming ship right and then fly out into space and <laughs> it's not quite picking them up and dropping them but it is pulling them out into space and fucking abandoning them to just float in the cold, hard, harsh vacuum of space beyond their spelljammer bubble. That's right? Terry's yeah. other tactic of taking them to the bottom of the ocean and letting them go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, all of them, all of them uh -huh. are variations of separating the party members from each other. Whether you're picking them up, flying them, dropping them somewhere else, taking them to the bottom of the ocean, taking them out of the vacuum of space. People laugh at the things I say, yet their dragon tactics are breath weapon, multi-attack <laughs> and try breath weapon again. Good, good, yeah, good. Yeah, no, at no, least no. I'm we thinking <laughs> uh, Terry, we, we laugh at your idea only because it is the clearly the right idea that that is not at all the thing that is written into the stats or or the mm -hmm. like 
it is such a missed fucking opportunity in in the books right and so it's not that we're People it's not that we laugh at, at this idea that you have it's that we laugh at the idiots that didn't come up with this shit so like people i don't think we lean into the natural abilities that the dragons are often not so for for me what i would do here is i'm yes i'm leaning into flyby and by the way this dragon lives in space so i imagine you're on some sort of ship right to get there so siege monster immediately combined with flyby so now i get double damage on objects that's your spell jammer ship uh, and i'm doing flyby as well it's uh, oh and if you're within 10 miles of the lay you're blinded so you have no idea what the hell is going on and by the way you've got 18 seconds to figure it out and fix it so that's what i'm doing is using siege monster and flyby uh, together if like if you damage the spell jamming hull like or the helm the thing that you like on a lot of the galleon style ones it'll be like up on the top where the captain stands and it looks like a giant steering wheel right like the old pirates if you were to beat the shit out of that and damage it so badly that the ship is just floating it, everybody dies of starvation you don't have to fight anybody you just have to disable yeah. the ship and fuck off for three weeks and come back and then take whatever you want from it like I don't have to fight you, the player. I just have to fight your ship. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's the encounter. Maybe it's just one or two rounds of this thing, and the DM never intended you to fight this. The real encounter is now you're floating in space on your damaged ship. This is the problem. How are you going to fix this? Mm-hmm. And I like to kind of uh, zoom in and out on things times where I might where I might zoom out here and I'll go round by round, but I'll go I'll start with over the next ten minutes, what's your activity, and zoom out again and say, okay, you're floating in space. Let's go one day at a time. Tell me what you're doing to fix this. This is the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've I... run out of water. Drink the plasmoid. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I don't all right. see yeah, I don't see these like sticking around to fight to the death. Like they've got the flyby, they've got the blinding, um, they've got even their breath weapon. They don't have to be close to you. They can shoot at 180 feet. Um, so they are just doing what they can, like we said, to disable your ship and then fucking off. You are not like your opportunity to fight these to the death is only if they come to your planet well it's uh, it's interesting because a lot of spell jamming ships have these extra bonus weapons that you can put on them and and some of them are really effective and some of them are just kind of like neat and and mm-hmm. flavorful but they're not great but you're really doing a like you're you're 100 right this thing is never getting close enough and with the even with the recharge it can sit outside your range and just fuck with you until that recharges every 30 seconds or so mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You, you 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 nailed it, Peps. You're never gonna fight this fucking thing, mm-hmm. right? Unless you've got these spell jamming weapons, and even then, this dragon, I've got an average of 200 hit points. I'm shrugging this shit off. And I can fly away and go to my impossible to get to fucking lair, get in a long rest, and come back and fuck you up again. Yeah. Because how far have you flown in eight hours? Yeah. Right? Even if it's not get brilliant. All right, team. We're going to move on to Ancient Dragons. Uh, so gargantuan size category at this point, the armor class is going to go up to 18 with their natural armor. We're going to see um, a big increase in hit points at 23d20 plus 184. Fly speed is up to 120 feet now with their hover, though their walking speed is still only 30 feet. I guess what we see for a change, I forget what we did with adult now that I'm moving out of here, but their saving throws, their big one is constitution of plus 15 now, and the next one is wisdom with plus 11. Yeah. Damage immunity is still only radiant, condition immunity is still only blinded, dark vision goes out to 240 feet. 
Their passive perception is now 28, which I imagine is higher than the stealth of a spelljammer ship. So they're likely going to know you're on the way. <laughs> Legendary resistances are going up to three per day, so they still get nebulous thoughts. They have their they're still siege monster. They still have the unusual nature that they don't require air, but they've added nothing new. Their <laughs> photonic breath um, now goes out to 240 feet, 40 foot radius sphere centered on that point. The damage goes up to 12d10 radiant damage for that. Then it's just the numbers go up, right? Like there's it's just, yeah. it's just the numbers go up. Yeah, regional effects stay the same, the legendary actions stay the same. So that's a big change. You get a big bump in numbers. Mm-hmm. So I'll it's take still, it to the questions. Yeah, it's still one bite, one tail for the multi. Can I just say, like, I've never been really inspired by the dragon stat blocks in fifth edition. We've complained about this in every dragon episode. This feels the laziest, though, for some reason, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. And if you're introducing something as, as crazy as a solar dragon, you've got to bring something to the table. You kind of look at this new incredible thing. And then everybody goes, we have so many questions about this celestial type dragon. You know, there's so many things here and there's just no answers for it. It's like, no, just it's radiant. It lives in a star. Don't worry about that. And honestly, it's got an average of 333 hit points at CR 20. Your guys will blow this fucking thing up by the end of round one. Like, mm-hmm. it it can't do enough damage. It can't last long enough. There's no, like, flyby is is uh, an attack. This doesn't deserve a CR 20. This is a CR 16 creature. I mean, even the tail attack still does 1d8 plus 9. Exactly. And that's a legendary action. Exactly. The only reason that this, that this is going to be a CR 20 is because it's outside of your range to hit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to think how big this thing must be. Like, the tail has got to be the size of a ship at this point. Yeah. And that's 1d8 plus 9. Yeah. So you're coming out with, you're coming out with, you're getting 9 points of damage from this thing. Or 12 mm-hmm. points of damage, sorry. <laughs> the entire the entire Spelljammer ship shakes and shudders from the impact of this massive celestial tail that is glowing with radiant energy. You take... Who damage? <laughs> like, fuck off. It didn't sit. <laughs> I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Especially it's like the legendary somebody opened action. their car door into your door at no parking lot, and they're just a tiny little thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, so for for role-playing, then, when we get to the size category, size category, what, what are the rumors that you would hear surrounding this type of dragon at, at this point when it's so big no oh, we gotta roll for it true roll again let's roll again i got a 12 18 13 um i think at this point it's going to be rumored to be like a god like there's just this glowing force through the sky and it's like anybody who sees it is it's just gonna be it's gonna be so massive and so huge and so bright that it's blinding that people can't really even see the form of it um that there's just nobody's gonna know what it actually looks like nobody's gonna know what it actually does for some reason the sun is just getting brighter and brighter and brighter it's a god like yeah it has to be right like what else could do that yeah yeah I, I don't have anything else <laughs> like i don't have anything else for this like i talked about rumors a little bit before with like cults and stuff but mm-hmm. only the astral elves know for sure everything else around this thing is it's it's godlike it's mysterious it's a hermit it affects the sun in some ways or it affects the crops in some ways or it affects the rain because oh he he, the solar dragon must have turned away from us it's a rainy day today right like it's that level of of superstition that i would Mm -hmm. i would add to it but 
I would absolutely have kobolds worship a solar dragon from the ground. And the solar dragon has no idea that these things fucking exist, right? Um, and they're going to give you legends of the time that their greatest warrior was blessed by the... But I mean, this never happened. The solar dragon doesn't even fucking know that they're there, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's that's my level of rumors that I'm going to lean into. Yeah. Yeah, I think at this point, everybody's agreed to some kind of god right and so you're right adam it's going to become around the the superstition that you kind of hear around that like uh, all of the player characters all of the world everybody knows that this is a god and it probably did create this incredible vast universe but then there should also still be superstition like hey the solar dragon doesn't like you when you jerk off all right so don't do that like that's still kind of the weird thing that we experience in our real life right it's like all of this is just for this you're, you're not allowed to touch yourself where the sun doesn't shine that's that's where <laughs> that's <laughs> you know what you should maybe you could do a play on that where it's like if you're going to do it it needs to be in a well-lit area those are the rules it's, it's, it's time the for rules, the, the it's time for the, the solar dragon race race. come on now exactly <laughs> exactly exactly uh but my point is yeah it's going to be just it's going to be based on superstition isn't it of the generations and generations of that that's changed over time but the one thing that everybody knows to be true whether it is or not is that this solar dragon is a god for sure for sure uh that's everyone right for uh for roleplay stuff let's look at exploration then how about some descriptions here that inspire we got to the largest size category Right. And we didn't get a whole bunch of lore. So now it's on us for what do we want to do with this when it is at its strongest size category. So when it comes to exploration and, and inspiring thoughts, what do we have? Who's going first, Pepperina? Yeah. Like I said, it's going to be so bright that like it's going to blind most people. But it does give you those goggles that you can wear that you might be able to get a glimpse of it. So should you be able to actually see it? I think the first thing you're going to see is those those wings. The wings on these are something we've not seen really before. The astral wings. They're not like they're not physical. They're just space. They're stars. They look like galaxies is how I envision them. So if you think about a galaxy and the swirling of the colors and the purples and the blues and the pinks, that's how I would have these wings look as they move through the sky. It's a galaxy moving through the sky and you can see just all of those color shifts and stars through it and just the wispiness of the light coming off of it. I would concentrate on those. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's fair. It makes sense. I'm trying to think how it's, with such limited lore, it's tough. I think at this point, because I'm thinking space, right? It gets me thinking space and time. Maybe there's a time travel element I can introduce here, some sort of time travel. That's your British paradox, showing, you know, space or gateway. Time. I don't know. I've watched like two episodes. <laughs> I know I've seen I more Doctor Who than you have. <laughs> it's like Harry Potter, right? It's an American thing. We went, there you go. You lot might like that. Go and watch that for 47 seasons. Okay, we'll move on. Maybe you'll try and make your own version. You guys like to do that as well. Um, I don't know. Maybe I might try and do something with time travel at this point, because just to cross that bridge between space and time, we're in space, maybe some sort of cosmic gateway, some sort of epic level play, I think. Honestly, when it comes to descriptions, this thing glitters and gleams in light, right? Like it should... Maybe the scales are almost reflective, so it's like a disco ball, right? Like, you could have some really cool visual effects 
with a solar dragon that you're not going to get from many others um, because you're all you're light based. I think that maybe here's something. Do the eyes glow or like, can you imagine the eyes are so bright on one of these creatures that they act as almost spotlights roaming across the deck of a spelljammer ship? So you know what it's looking at from from the light. This is shit we could have gotten that does not exist in the lore. Even if you go back to other editions and stuff, we, we don't have we don't have enough of a solid grasp on what a solar dragon is supposed to be, what it's supposed to do, what what niche it fills. We don't get that. And it's like the descriptions or whatever you want to make it. Like Peps is talking about the celestial galaxy kinds of of the nebulous wings and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, why the fuck not? That is great. It's not in half of the artwork that exists for them, but fucking lean into it, right? These things are, if you go just based off of the pictures that we're going to get in 5th edition, you're going to be let down, right? It's it's just going to be kind of, here's another fucking dragon, because we didn't lean into how weird. That's the thing that, we're, that we've been struggling with, how alien these things are compared to other dragons, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's funny. We sat down to talk about it, and I, and I said before we ever hit record, there's nothing to this. The lore is bullshit. We're gonna, this will be a short episode. We're well over two hours now because we are having to pull out of ourselves to be like, hey, what is the inspiration? Where are we trying to find the things? We're reading into every little bit and piece to to find what we can to make this more inspiring and more evocative and more interesting because. Honestly, when I first flipped through it, I went, well, I guess we're doing an episode on solar dragons for some fucking reason. This was almost teamed up with the lunar dragons because I didn't think there was enough here for an episode. When but I this... read both of them, I was like, why isn't this just both at, like two, one episode? <laughs> I guess there's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know and, what's uh, interesting is I'm flipping. Sorry, Adam, go on, finish your thoughts. Sorry. Oh, no, no. All I was going to say is like the description is whatever you want to make it, like make it fantastic, make it different, make it either an aspect of light or radiance or the sun or it's reflective or it it sucks up solar rays so it's got you know vents almost like gills on the side of it that open up to power itself like if maybe this thing heals itself with radiant light and whatnot like a celestial would and so it, it like it supermans itself it flies into the sun immediately returns to maximum hit points and flies out again if it's going to do that, then it's got to have some way to absorb that into its into its body. Like the description here, I I like everything we've come up with. I think that every DM needs to make the solar dragon their own. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. As I'm looking back at the stat block here, there are some serious oversights here. I think it's hilarious that it, even though everything around the radiance and the light, it still has dark vision out to 240 feet. I don't know how often that's coming up for this dragon. Uh, it still has dark vision out to 240 feet. It does not have blind sight though. So if you're invisible or if you cast magical darkness and you don't move, you know, when it can't smell you or something, it doesn't really, it can't really see you. Yeah, like this, it could have been so cool. <laughs> it could have been so neat. And they just, it just wasn't. It just, it, they said, take Three it generic. Three of us just need to get together and write a dragon book. <laughs> right? <laughs> they just, they just took a generic stat block and they slapped radiance on it and said, okay, well, it doesn't need to breathe because it's in space. And so they, they gave it the very, very basic 
just enough to justify by their metrics how they would get up to a CR 16 or a CR, or I guess it was 14 or 20. They gave just a bare amount of mechanics to get there. Yeah. All right, let's hit this last one then for combat. Then. So let's pretend that you get to kill an ancient solar dragon. What are the benefits from harvesting parts of this dragon at this level of power? I do, every time I kill a dragon in a game, a harvest part of it um so <laughs> like i just do um i would i mean i like putting if you get parts of it and you use it and you're like one of mine is a bard she got they killed the white dragon she took the scales cheeses guitar picks that when she plays her songs to do damage it also does cold damage so if you were to take one of these vampire things off of it and make it a spear, it is a spear that now does radiant damage. That is that is the type of thing that I would use. And, it, and like the spines on its back are very pointy and sharp. And you could use that also as some sort of weapon. You could connect those to a flail and just have a bunch of them that swirl around. Things like that I like to use dragon parts as and just give it flavor of that dragon. So, I mean, this one, we get radiance. That's just what we get. I don't, I mean, if you were to get a scale or something, you could maybe present it as your cleric's holy symbol. And it does blinding. It casts, you know, blinding. I think you could probably use in this as one of its special abilities. Yeah, that's yeah. a few good. Uh, that's a few good answers there, Pepperina. Thank you for taking all the good ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, for me, when uh, when my party kills, Jar- I'm going to sneeze. Where's my mute button? Wait. We need now. It's that not one. coming. Everybody just has to watch. It, it is going to happen in a second. Okay, let me pause. If I quickly mute, that's what happens. Okay. Yeah, when, when I have dragons die in my campaign, I don't just like to give them the full corpse and they get to take all of the stuff. I'll usually do it in a pretty fantastical way. They killed a black dragon recently and I had its resistance to its own acid go away. So it just, you know, seared all its flesh off and it just ended up a bleached skeleton. So then it, in, in turn, it limits what they can take and I can prepare for that. That's um, badass, Terry. Yeah, yeah. They killed it over its uh, its pool of diseased water as well, so then it sunk to the bottom, so it was very difficult for them to get stuff. But I would try and do something like that in this way as well. I I think I would need to steal Adam's idea of the big explosion that bleaches everything, because whoever gave the killing blow, I would maybe have it bleach parts on them. I mean, you can do obvious things like it bleach their skin or their hair or or their, their armor or something, but I think I would lean into that. Or they're permanently blind. Or oh, they're permanently blind. They're permanently blind, but maybe we give them blindsight or something. Something like a little bit of a trade-off. Um, I don't know. But something like that. I like the holy symbol idea. Pepperina, that's really good. Um, I mean, maybe I'd try and wrangle it for... They technically don't have anything healing related, but I feel like I just want to lean into that because it seems to be right there. Um... Something around that, yeah. It's it's like how it's just going to be something radiant, right? But I like it when there's like a physical change to things. You know, when you, I'm not sure. That was a lot of half answers. All right. So what I would what I would do is, in my head, there's an organ in every neck of every dragon that gives it the ability to do its breath weapon. Harvest that organ, dry it out, and petrify it, and you now have a wand with a certain number of uses per day which is going to do its breath weapon to a lesser degree, right? So it's going to let you just cast Fireball that is radiant damage, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, or the other thing I like is you take its eyes, and if you consume the eyes, you are now immune to being blinded. That's good. I like that. Mm -hmm. your, your eyes can will always regenerate no matter what. Because you got to think this solar dragon, if it's inside a sun, its eyes are probably melted off, or there's got to be something in there that protects its vision for when it comes out again, right? Yeah. I mean, in the book, their eyes are just white. Like, there's nothing else to them. They're just white. You'd think you'd have fucking blind sight, like Terry said. <laughs> God damn it. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts before we wrap this up. This has just been us fixing this dragon. <laughs> standard. That's a standard dragon episode. <laughs> We've we've fixed this dragon completely for you all. You're yeah, welcome. <laughs> welcome to It's a Mimic. Wizards have fucked this dragon up. Don't worry. We'll fix it. Let, let, let me say, we've gone all over the map on where there could be layers, how they interact with, with spell jamming ships. I feel like we could have had two or three different solar dragons that are all drastically different from each other. And we could have one from a from a red dwarf star and one from like a, a white giant and then one from like a like a fantasy bullshit like it's 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 the purple swirling star we could have come up with more dragons than in two hours we did more <laughs> than they fucking did with how many months of development on this and i mean yeah they've got they've got an entire publication to to worry about but fucking hire people like just yeah offer At me least. 50 bucks to spend an afternoon writing up shit about a solar dragon man that's not gonna break your fucking budget no at least for the stat block right there's some real obvious things there the blind side is one of them for sure but it's like this yeah. question must have been asked like, before immunity to heat and cold like yeah exactly <laughs> exactly that and this i mean this is stuff that i know about space you know when i'm just a regular person yeah. down here on earth <laughs> well you point out pepperino you know what i mean it's like the regular people in the planet we can we can spot this stuff already yeah. okay before we get out of here let's go to an info break if you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. All right, so most of the combats against one of these dragons are going to take place from the deck of a spell jamming ship, which feels like a major disadvantage from the player's perspective, right? Like, this thing's going to fuck up your ship, as we talked about. Where's the best place? What is the best case scenario to a, to fight a solar dragon? Not in their star. <laughs> like... Yeah, anywhere but their lair? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, where else are you going to see them? in the vastness of space i mean yeah for me i feel like you've got to find some sort of asteroid or something they've got the ability to have little bubbles of air around your head and stuff in in spell jammer so that you can essentially walk out in space and do stuff yeah. uh, i would very much do that where you are on the surface of a comet or an asteroid or a, a meteor or something Right, so that you are there to fight this thing on neutral ground. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to do it uh, on a planet. This thing's gonna fuck up a planet. Yeah, I think your best bet of running into one of these because it does say. 
that they store a lot of food um, is them just hunting. Could you imagine? I want, okay, let's go back for a second to the Kindori, who are the space whales. Can you imagine your whole party gets swallowed by one of these things on purpose? So that when the solar dragon goes to kill it, need it, and rip it open. Surprise, motherfucker. We're, here we are. Everybody shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, that's all for this part of our discussion on solar dragons in D&D 5th edition. Please take a second to engage with a like, follow, comment, and review to help push our engagement. And don't forget to subscribe and find future inspirations for your campaigns. If you'd like to support us, we have a store with some merch and a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a Patreon. This episode and others can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Welcome to another It's a Mepic. It's a Mepic. Guest starring Terry's Urine. Why are you still here? Leave already.